This week on Writers Inc. It's total chaos. Um, when I'm under the gun, uh, as with my last book, Four, uh, Highwayman had come out and published it. You know, okay, so when's the next one going to be ready? And I'm about a third in, and I'm going, oh my God, I don't even know what ending yet. And they're asking for the next book. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. Let's start with J.D. J.D., what's going on, man? Tell us something good. <laughs> totally lost. <laughs> so, all right, publishing news, kind of, sort of. I was, I was just reading, because um, I, I love gadget stuff, I was just reading some info on um, iOS 15, which is the latest iPhone update, and they've got a cool feature in there that they're not really talking about, but you can take a picture of text and convert it to actual like text. So if you write handwritten notes or anything like that, you can basically convert it, convert it to typewritten text um, fairly easily now with a, a native, you know, the native photography app in the, the iPhone, which is kind of cool for anybody that's, you know, scribbling down stuff and have to convert it into whatever and drop it into Scrivener. Um, I thought that was kind of neat. Um, and I got a couple emails about the Nicholas Sparks interview. Um, and, and one of them was actually a comment about, um, you know, he had mentioned that everybody should write a Christmas book. Um, and, and I actually wanted to chime in on that because, you know, with this being Halloween, um, you know, I wrote the, the prequel to Dracula. You know, they, tout, they they bring that out every year. Um, so that, that's kind of what he was getting at, I, I think, with that. You know, like back when I worked in the music industry, you know, every artist always clamored to record that, that Christmas album because they knew that every year, you know, it would hit the shelves again and those songs would be out there and they'd be collecting royalties on it. So it's just a, you know, residual passive income kind of thing. Um, but from an author standpoint, you can do that too. So like in my world, it's, it's Dracul. You know, like every year I see it in you know in bookstores they put it out in the front window you know libraries have it on their little table for scary halloween reads every year um you know not something that i thought about before signing on to that project but you know definitely a, a cool thing to have so just you know that, that's what he was getting and i think when he said everybody should write a christmas book um and i think every author should kind of think about that like what what can you write you know that is going to get trotted out every single you know year after year um and kind of keep your name alive so i, I just i thought that was kind of cool yeah you're like the mariah carey of horror writing <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think I've got better hair. No, <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> I, I, probably not. <laughs> I was thinking back to my music store days where like people would come in and here in Nashville in like May looking for jingle bells, but our company was too stupid to carry them. Then they would carry them in like November and December. But it was like, no, people record their Christmas albums like in May and June <laughs> to have out by December. So I don't know. That's not really rel uh, relevant, but no, I guess because you were in the heart of, um, yeah, I mean, there's recording studios all around you, right there, right? So they were the store I lit, the store I worked at was neat. I mean, there were you could throw a rock at probably twelve of the biggest recording studios in Nashville. <laughs> so huh. yeah, there's right right in the heart of it all. So what's new yeah, with you, Zach? What do you got going on? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm I'm supposed to come to Cleveland tomorrow. But uh, as we record this, I have a Southwest flight, so I hope that that happens because we're on the 
the heels of all the crazy Southwest airline stuff. But I, I think it'll be fun. I almost canceled my flights earlier this week and decided just to drive. But, uh, but yeah, so hopefully, hopefully I make it and, uh, you know, we're hanging out this weekend and then, uh, I'm going to come home for a day and then turn right back around and go to new Orleans. <laughs> so it's going to be a crazy, uh, 10 days or so coming up. So, but I'm excited. All right. Do you guys want to talk about new, or- new Orleans? Um, yeah, well, I mean, we could, we could mention that this was the event that we had scheduled for 2020. Uh, and then that obviously didn't happen. This is called vampires in new Orleans. And, uh, so we sold it out then. Um, so unfortunately there's, n- there's no tickets available, but, uh, it's one of our world building weekends. We're really excited for it. Zach and I both love the city and, uh, and the theme is going to be vampires and it's going to be taking place in October. <laughs> and in fact, uh, the timing worked out pretty well in that the official Halloween parade is happening Saturday night, um, uh, next Saturday night from when we're recording this. So we're going to, anyone who wants to stay, stick around for that will also be able to stick around for that. So, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to it. It's going to, it's going to be a great time. We have a few surprises for attendees that, uh, are somewhat related to you to J to you, JD, but we can't spoil yet. We can't say anything on the air yet about what that is. Uh, uh, but maybe next episode we record, we can talk about it. And you always blame me for teasing stuff and, you know, but that's a, no, I'm excited. So like New Orleans is I've been, I've been in New Orleans more than any city I've ever lived in. I've never lived in. So I've never lived there, but I've spent a ton of time there and I've, and, and going in October is by far the best around Halloween. The weather's pretty good, but I've never been to the parade. So I'm actually, uh, I'm actually pretty, pretty excited about that. And like, I, I love New Orleans, so it'll be, uh, It'll be fun being down there, so I'm I'm excited. I, I love New Orleans too, but it always reminds like if you're I, I tend to see it at night. You know, almost everything happens at night, and if you're up during the daytime, like in the morning, like they they literally hose that entire city down. <laughs> like they yeah, pretty <laughs> pre- much pre- pressure wash the entire city from top to bottom, and then just reset and start over because you know by three o'clock in the morning it's just completely trashed, <laughs> um, and and then they they start over the next day. Um, but it, it's always fun. New Orleans is awesome. Well, there's no other city in the country like it. I mean, just the architecture, the, um, I mean, everything about it it just is so, the food, yeah, everything. And, And it's finally, it took a long time, but over the past several years, I feel like it's really finally come back after Katrina. I mean, it's hard, it's crazy to think it took that long, but it really did take a while for that because so many people left and never came back, you know? And so it's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited to go down there again. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, cool. Let's take care of some business, and then we'll get to the interview for the week. want to give a warm shout-out to our wonderful sponsors over there at Kobo Writing Life. Remember, at Kobo, you do not have to sign any exclusivity agreements. So uh, you can take a single book, a whole series, and you can distribute it through, uh, through Kobo and get to literally dozens of countries all throughout the world. Uh, they have monthly promotional opportunities, and you can set your own price, and you can set them individually in each country. So if you haven't yet published on Kobo, you can uh, get started with a free account at KoboWritingLife.com. Also want to give a shout out to a new patron, Jay Graves. Just Jay, that's weird. Just Jay initial Graves, whatever. Okay, Jay Graves, uh, <laughs> thanks for becoming a patron. And uh, shout out to all of our uh, existing p- uh, patrons. If you want to become part of our monthly Q&A episode and submit questions, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash writers inc podcast. And that brings us to the guest of the week. JD, who do we got? 
We've got MJ Preston. He's a horror author out of Canada with an interesting tie to uh, Ice Road Truckers, of all things. Um, I know his debut novel was called The Equinox, um, and he's, he's got a, a slew that he's put out since then. Um, honestly, kind of a refreshing conversation. We've had so many New York Times bestseller type authors, you know, bigger names recently. You know, this is kind of somebody who's down in the trenches doing this on the indie side, and it, it's, it's kind of fun to, to, fun, uh, fun to hear. So here he is, MJ Preston. Which state has the best rest stops? <laughs> the the creepiest probably would be Michigan, as I recall, because I used to run around Michigan all the time. And, yeah, yeah, I got a pretty cool story that actually goes with that. Yeah, please do. I want to. I want to know why Michigan's creepy. Well, I don't think Michigan is creepy, but it's got <laughs> that dirty uh, industrial edge to it. Of course, and I'm talking closer to Detroit, between Flint and, and Lansing, all these places in Michigan, but the in-between sometimes are a little creepy. I remember going through, uh, I was coming down from Flint, and I stopped at, uh, on, at, a, at a rest area, and it had steel uh, mirrors inside the, the bathroom areas which I thought was rather strange. And there was a strange little fellow sitting in the, or standing in the corner, kind of looking at me, I had red hair. And here, here I am, I'm a horror author, and I'm, you know, I'm constantly thinking about serial killers and whatnot. And uh, I made a remark just out loud. I went, wow, this is like prison, because they got steel mirrors on the walls. And uh, anyhow, what happened is, is uh, the, the little guy, he waited for everybody to leave, and, and he came over and he goes, what were you jail for? Right? Like we were sharing something. I said, nothing, man, just making an observation. I got the hell out of there. Right? <laughs> so anyways. Good story, yeah, man. Yeah, they got, the, they got the best rest areas for inspiration. That's for sure. <laughs> and um, our listeners are probably wondering why I asked you that question, but we're going to get into your some of your uh, history um, shortly. And uh, trucking, long, long road trucking was a big part of it. So uh, sure. That's where that came from. In case anyone else is like, "Why is he asking about rest stops?" So, let's but let's talk first about uh, the Equinox. I think this okay. is a fascinating story, uh, the book itself, but also how it came to be. Can you give us a little bit of the history of 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 that book, where it started, and kind of where it ended up? Yeah, we're going back a lot of years. Uh, I used to be in the Canadian military. And so I served twelve years in the Canadian Army, and at that time, I still aspired to be a writer. Uh, but the military puts a lot of demands on you. So I got a manuscript about half written and I shelved it. I had a family, all that. And I said, okay, I'm just going to be a soldier. I'm not going to write books or whatnot. And anyways, it ended up in a box. And I, so something like 12, 13 years later, I was out of the military. Uh, I was just embarking on a trucking career and I found the manuscript and I thought, well, you know what, man, I really, I should take a shot at finishing it. So I had a, I had a friend of mine who was a, a writer and he was my mentor and I was still writing, by the way, I was just, wasn't writing fiction. And, uh, he said, I said, I'd like to maybe take a shot at this. Would you like to do it? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Send it to me. So I, um, so I started transcribing it cause it was like, it was in a three ring binder, you know, a hole punch, which you don't do with a manuscript old school if you send it off, but it wasn't done. And I had to transcribe that to the computer. So I did all that. But also I had to update it by about 16 years because the story was set when there were no cell phones. There was nothing for computers. Like it was all very limited. So I had to rewrite all that. And in twenty, the latter part of 2011, I published it independently. And it it got a lot of love when it came out. Like um, a Dark Discussions 
uh, uh, Philip Perrin from Dark Discussions said it was the best horror novel he had read in uh, the last 10 years. And then it went, I put it into the Amazon Breakthrough Awards. It made it all the way to quarterfinals. And for a horror novel, man, that's a big deal. Yes, it is. Um, so it didn't light my world on fire. But what it did do is it made me realize that, okay, I finished this one novel. What am I going to do? And I really didn't know. But that year, I, in 2012, a friend of mine said, why don't you come up and do the ice roads in the north of Canada? And that's the world's longest ice road. Now, people seen ice road truckers. That first season, that's the ice road they were on. So I went up there, and we were pumping my book all the way up. You know, like, I mean, there's there's a thousand truck drivers coming and going. And my friend's out there just, you know, buy MJ's book. This is the Equinox. You got to check this out. And I sold every book I had up there. And then all of a sudden, I started looking around at this environment. And I said, wow, this is a great place to write a book about. So I wrote my second book, The Katie Event. And uh, I'm not getting ahead of you here, am I? Or, no, this is fine. This no? is fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I got down to work on that and I wrote that and we uh, I ended up again, independent publishing. This was all a new thing to me. And uh, Katie Event did pretty good. At, uh, Jeff or Gregory Norris, who used to write for the Sci-Fi Channel and uh, Star Trek Voyager, he got his mitts on it. I met him at a, at a conference and I gave it to him and I was like, oh my God, he's going to tear me to pieces. This guy's a science fiction guy. What do I know about science fiction? Because it really was more of a science fiction horror, like The Thing or something along that line or Aliens. It wasn't a true, true sci-fi. So I figured he was going to rip me apart and he came back and he loved it. And he said to me, I had so much fun with this book. And so he got out there and he pumped it for me too. And that got me a little bit more not notoriety and that would bring me up to the two books uh, that are presently now out now, which are uh, Highwayman and Four. And those two books are companion books. It's one story. But I decided when I wrote those, I met a, in doing my research for these, and just so I'm not getting ahead of anybody, this, these books are about chasing a serial killer. So if you see a common theme with me, Monster, the Equinox, which was a skinwalker and the guy's chasing it across the Americas. And then we got bone-eating aliens in, in Acadia event in the north. So I had to go to the next monster, which was going to be a serial killer. And I did a lot of research for this. Like, I, I went right to town. I read everything I could get my hands on. I watched documentaries ad nauseum. And I made a few friends, and I met an author who wrote a book on Ted Bundy, which was very popular, and I read it. It was probably the most in-depth thing. And his name is Kevin M. Sullivan, and I'm here I am dropping names. And I contacted him, and I said, man, I read your book, and it really helped me get some insight into this stuff like that, you know, and because um, it really was it just a, a, it was a comprehensive history of Ted Bundy, and it, was, it explained who he was. And I learned things about him that I didn't know, but... I mean, I learned about other serial killers and other books, but this one was a standout. So I sent him an email and I said, uh, yeah, listen, I'm writing a, I'm writing a serial, or I didn't say I was writing a serial, so I'm writing a book and I used some of your stuff for research. And I want, just want to say thanks. And that's all. There was nothing. And he said, you got a publisher yet? I said, well, I haven't even, I haven't finished it yet. So I'm not shopping it around. And any, at the end of the day, I, I, I looked at his publisher, which was Wild Blue Press, and I submitted to them. So it took a while, and uh, finally, the uh, Steve Jackson, who's a New York Times best-selling author, but he's also he owns Wild Blue Press with a few other people, and he got back to me and he said, "Yeah, we want your book, Highwayman," and that was the first book. He said, "But we also want to contract the second book, which is four, and that's the second half of Highwayman." But 
they sweetened the pot and they said, you know what, you know, your two independent books, we want them on our docket as well. So here we are. <laughs> awesome. Well, there, there's a number of things I want to circle back around to. Uh, okay. The Equinox. Now, is this the book you started in 1986 on the old yes. IBM typewriter? It, it, is, it is. It is. Yes. I miss that IBM too, because I love typewriters. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I don't ever want to write another book on a typewriter. But yes, it is. Equinox sat on the sat in a box somewhere forever, and I just uh, basically, you know, I, I I didn't think I was ever going to finish it. But then so this so yeah, that's what I, I I'm so curious about this because I know many writers, myself included, we have these manuscripts in boxes, whether they're real or, or virtual boxes that are never going to see the light of day or we're never going to go back to. Why did you go back? Why couldn't you let go of this one? What was it about this story that just kept pulling you back? Well, I just, it, it, I, look, I, I always wanted to be an author, at least write one book. And this was a story, well, first of all, it was inspired by a lot of stuff I saw in the late 70s. I used to be a big, you know, big fan of, of stuff like that from the 70s, especially from that era. And one of the books that really uh, got me was a book called The Fury. And that was written by, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting the author's name right now. This is John Ferris. And that was somewhat like Stephen King's Firestarter, where it's a it's a guy, somebody took his kid, and he's got, you know, the kid's got some kind of uh, telekinetic power, and they're, it's a hunt. He's chasing, he's trying. In this case, it's a little bit reverse, but I wanted to have a long-term hunt in a story. Where, so I have an Aboriginal uh, young man, actually he's half, half breed, Aboriginal young man from the Northwest Territories. And in his village, they have a, um, a ritual they do every year because the, the tribe is cursed. Two, three hundred years ago, they uh, they got into cannibalism and uh, when uh, Wendigo sickness came into their camp, turned a lot of them crazy. So the elder goes out and he finds the Wendigo in the woods and he makes a deal with it that he will give himself to save his people. And so he becomes cursed and he becomes like a, almost an offspring of a Wendigo, but he's a skinwalker. And every twice a year, when there's an equinox, the fall equinox and the spring equinox, the walls separate and the creatures are able to come through from the other side. So in this in this village, they have what's called a ritual circle. And that's where they trap the skinwalker. It can feed and do whatever it wants in that circle, but they have to keep it encased. Well, Daniel Blackbird inadvertently frees the windico upon the world. It, or sorry, not the windico, the skinwalker upon the world. And it kills his grandfather. So he's driven by revenge, but he's also been banished from his people, and he has to go right this wrong and capture, kill or capture or whatever it is. And he follows it over the course of 14 years while it kills its way across the Americas from Canada, United States, and like that. And I won't go too much deeper into it, but it was just, it was just a story that uh, it just had a lot of momentum, and there was a lot of me in there. Um, it deals with child murder a little bit. Um, there's a serial killer in it, believe it or not. And uh, there's a lot of emotion in because I actually get invested in one of the families that lose their child to the murderer. And that plays back a little bit to when I was younger. I, I lost a sibling. Uh, he drowned when he was in the St. Lawrence River. And I guess you could say that was kind of my way of exercising, not my demon, but seeing that 
how my mother was struggled with that her whole life, right to her death. Uh, she never got over that. And I think that was really just my way of kind of focusing in on, you know, this is this is something that people deal with. It's, it's been in my family and I wanted to put it into writing. And it was a very emo emotional piece to write, especially about the husband and wife. But it is a story too. So, I mean, uh, I just let her go where she went. And uh, it was a lot of fun to write. I'm, I'm glad it set me down this road. It really did. Because had I not picked up that manuscript, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. Yeah. And you, you do seem to weave uh, the horror genre and the serial killer or true crime genre. Uh, th those are sort of interwoven in a lot of what you do. Uh, what do you think is the relationship between those genres or those styles? Well, like these two books that I'm, I've written now, Highwayman and Four, they are, there's, there's no supernatural element in them whatsoever. But there's monsters in them. These people are monsters. They're not... Uh, you know, they, they, don't, they don't come out of the ground. They're not the walking dead. They're not whatever. They're not uh, a native mysticism. They're even more frightening because they're real. I mean, you can walk down the street and walk right past a Ted Bundy and you don't even know it because they move like chameleons and, you know, they're, they're very creepy. So I did, a, I did a lot of research on these guys and this is just the kind of what I'm going to do with my writing and, and in the serial killer genre more so even though I'm kind of going on a tangent off your question here, is for the Highwayman series that I'm writing now, it's more of a thriller, okay? It's, it's, it's because you could, everything in there is researched and it's not, you know, nothing is blown up. Nobody's a superhero, nothing like that. But I'm going to move between these two genres. That's my plan for writing for as long as I live, is that I'll go over here to the thriller and, and, and tell my police procedural and have fun with that. And you know what, man, I need a break. Let's go back to a good, you know, juicy horror novel. Some monster popping out of the ground or raining blood from the sky. So I don't know. It's it, it but that is it. it. Is the serial killer is the ultimate monster because it's real. Yeah. Did you watch uh any of the uh, there, there's sort of a, a a resurgence, especially on Netflix, of the shows uh true crime and uh and, and even you know the serial killer uh, fictional accounts like Mindhunter. Did you did you watch those as part of your research? And if so, how did you incorporate that? Well, actually, I've read, I have all the books. Like uh, Mindhunter is written by John Douglas and uh, uh, Mark Olshaker. And they've written a lot of books together, uh, like Obsession, Journey into Darkness. And so when Netflix took Mindhunter, yes, they took it, they fictionalized it somewhat. But I mean, it's, most of it's based in fact. The only thing, and I love Mindhunter. It's a it's a great show. I've watched both seasons of it. And I'll probably watch another one. The only thing that drives me crazy is that I when they kind of mess around with the with the truth, you know, or they change something, it drives me a little nuts. But yes, I absolutely did. I didn't watch Mindhunter for research because I've read the books. I watched it more just pleasure. It, I wanted to see what they did with it. I was very interested with it, and of course. It's weird because if you look at guys like Ed Kemper, okay, and, I, and he's really probably in that series, that serial killer stands out the most. Um, it's just kind of a, it's like, holy crap, that looks like Ed Kemper. Because I spent a lot of time watching these guys in interviews. Uh, I watched, you know, one of the first uh, documentaries I ever watched, and that came out, I think in the 80s, but it would be the early 80s, was The Killing of America. And it, you know, it delved into all these ugly places. 
And so I've watched a lot of that. And Ed Kemper was a big part of that. He talked about, you know, his crimes and all that. And so when you look at Mindhunter, you go, wow, did they ever nail that? That's pretty good, you know? So it, it's an interesting series. It's, but I watch it more for entertainment because it, they've, they've skewed some of the facts. Or sure. I'll, I'll, I can give you an example if you like. Yeah, sure. Um, did you watch the you watch yes. the series yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay, at the end when uh, the the young FBI agent goes to see Kemper and then Kemper gives him the big hug, but he talks about how he screw his head off. That wasn't and Ke- the what's what's in the young a- FBI agent's name? I always get it mixed up because I think of them as Robert Ressler, which would be the older FBI agent, and then John Douglas, who is the younger guy. And this this is kind of autobiographical. But the fact of the matter is, is it was Robert Ressler who was sitting with Ed Kemper. And all of a sudden, everybody disappeared, the guards and all that, while they were doing their interviews. And Ressler was in there by himself, and Kemper said to him, oh, he says, they're doing a ship change. It takes about 15 minutes. He says, you know what would be interesting? I could screw your head off and leave it on the desk here, right? And Ressler said that he was absolutely terrified because Kemper was a monster, like this next to him. There was no restraints either, by the way. And they did a little banter back and forth, and... So he said to me, he said, well, you don't think we would come in here on protect? He says, oh, what are you going to use some FBI kung fu moves on him? And it passed. But it changed policy in the FBI because they never went into an interview alone again with a serial killer. So I saw that. They cha- they changed that up a little bit. But I can I can handle that. It's still a very cool, interesting story. But I actually think the original story is more interesting than what they, they wrote up there, you know, because yeah. it – but, you know, Netflix, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's talk a little bit more about your writing and your writing process. Uh, how and when do you write? Do you schedule it? Do you have a certain place? Do you have a word count goal? What's what's it look like for you on a day to day basis? It's total chaos. Um, when I'm under the gun, uh, as with my last book, for uh, Highwayman had come out and the publisher said to me, you know, okay, so when's the next one going to be ready? And I'm about a third in, and I'm going, oh my. God, I don't even know what ending yet. And they're asking for the next book. So I schedule myself. Usually I, I write early in the morning. I'll get up like five o'clock or something like that when nobody's up. And then I go, because I, I still carry a day job, you know, I'm not Stephen King. Uh, I get up about 5 a.m. I'll write for a couple hours. Off to work I go, I come home. I might go back and clean up a little bit. And then on the weekends, it's the same thing. I'm up about 5 a.m. every day, uh, clocking away. And uh, trying to stay away from the uh, things I try to do is turn off all the social media, every distraction, and just put on some music and uh, and go. And hopefully, uh, something starts flowing. In most cases, it does. I don't, um, I'm not, you know, people ask you, are you a panster or a plotter? I never even heard these terms until <laughs> the last couple of years. Uh, I'm definitely a panster. I just, I just write and go. I don't. I don't plot anything like that. Uh, a lot of times that's kind of a hard thing too, because especially when you're doing a series, because you got to keep going right. And how many were killed here? How many was this? Right. So uh, I do that. And the other thing that I do, which might interest aspiring writers or any writers or not, who knows, um, is I just run for the finish line. I don't go, I don't agonize over every page and every, ch- I'll go, I set a goal of a chapter, I write a chapter, and I just go from beginning to end, and then I go back, give it once over, and if I'm happy with it, then it usually goes off to my research assistant, who's uh, helped me with the Highwayman books, 
And she looks it over. She acts as a beta reader, but she also uh, fact checks me and kicks my butt. And then, boom, we go on to the next chapter. And that's how we do it. Because you know what? By the time you get to the end of that first draft, you got so much mess, you're going to have to go back and clean up it anyway. So I find it slows my, my momentum down. And it's a lot easier just to, just to run for the finish line and try and get there before you forget what the hell it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are you, are, are you still listening to like uh, drive by truckers, Almond brothers, ACDC? Is that sort of your writing music or is that just associated with certain books? Well, I was going to say, are you stalking me? You know what? I love, yeah, I love all of these bands. I'm always, I'm always on the hunt for new stuff. I like hard rock and I, and I love classic rock and then drive by truckers. It was a guy named Dan Hunter out of Michigan who introduced me to them. I'd never heard of them. And I'm like, these guys are sweet. Um, right now, my, but I, it seems like I pick up a band that I love. And just recently the band I really love and is uh, all them witches. Oh, I, know, I don't know I love if you've them. ever heard. Yes. Yeah. They're a cool, cool band. And I, that's what I love about Spotify. Cause it just suggests stuff to you. And I go, Oh, okay. I'll try this out. The other thing I'd mentioned about my writing process too, and I don't do it during the week because I'm up too early, but generally I'm into the hot tub for about 20 minutes with the earbuds on just to kind of think about things. And then I get, you know, toweled off and then I head on down and uh, then I get down to writing. So now, that, are you that thinking, helps a little bit too. Are you thinking about the scene you're going to write? Yes. Uh, basically, I, I just, I don't know if I'm kind of getting myself geared up. And so like I got a set of earbuds, I listen to music too. It's, it's just a meditation period, but I think about the story. Okay. Where we've been. And, and that might even be in the case of the series, going back a book, I'm thinking of it, but I got music going on in my head. And I, the one thing I have to say is that for all of my writing, I could probably create soundtracks because there's different music that's affected everything that I've done. Like when I wrote a Katie event, yeah, drive, drive truckers was a, huge influence it's not because of the name because when you think about it i think they only have one song about trucking and that was um uh mama run off with a trucker i forget the name of the song but you probably know it no no not <laughs> my head i'd have to look it up all right on. okay <laughs> well any anyways but so yeah i think uh, uh I just, music plays a huge huge part when i was a kid and i used to write short stories and stuff like that like you know for school or, or just for myself because a lot of times for an audience of one or maybe a friend, I used to, uh, I used to have, like, we had a rec big record collection. I used to, I almost burned a hole into the soundtrack to the good, the bad and the ugly by Ennio Morricone. It's just because, I mean, they had just, and that just inspired listening to that in the background. If you listen to something like the desert, which is just a daunting sound, right? So I'll do that too. I'll, I'll sometimes listen to, it just depends what kind of mood I get into. The other band I discovered that really I thought was cool with the writing was the Dead Weather. I'd never heard of them. Yeah. And um, it's funny because when I was getting down to the count on my last book four, uh, the song that really stuck with me was "So Far From Your Weapon," and I just would <laughs> listen to that and listen to it, and because it kind and it plays into to what you know, you're sitting there writing, and for me, writing is like watching a movie unfold in my head. I'm putting it on paper, but I see those people and I see what's going on. So, you know, when you hear in the background, you're so far from your weapon and you're, you know, like, it's just cool. I mean, it, that, it just, uh, it really does. It helps with the writing a lot. Yeah. You know, in, in the music realm, uh, fans love to do these, these comparisons like uh, 
Black Sabbath versus Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones versus the Beatles or, you know, there's any number of these. And in the literary world, especially in horror, I kind of feel it's like H.P. Lovecraft versus Poe. I don't know how you feel about Lovecraft, but you seem to be a pretty big fan of Poe. Where where do you fall between those two guys? Uh, You know what? I have to say Poe is my guy. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I appreciate H.P. Lovecraft, but I didn't read as much of him. I read a little bit of, you know, I've read some of his short stories and not, but I'm not as invested. King was a huge influence when I was young, of course. Everybody wanted to be Stephen King. Not now I don't, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, I like Stephen King, I, but I just don't want to be Stephen King. I want to, I like some relative privacy and, you know, uh, anyways, but I'll give you some of his dough though. That would be nice. <laughs> but yeah, Poe, just because... I mean, I grew up on him, and and if it was if I wasn't reading what he was writing, and it, it almost felt like as a kid, like I mean, when I was in elementary school, I was reading some of Poe's stuff, and you know, the Raven, the poems, and 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 that. But I was also I was overdosing on the Hammer adaptions that we were doing in the drive-ins, right? So you know, I, I would go see these. I mean, I loved Vincent Price. You know, you'd always see him, or uh, not Bella Lugosi, but. Um, uh, Frankenstein. I can't remember. Uh, can't remember the actor's name. But, anyways, these guys were all in that. But I, and Poe just felt like, as a kid, it was almost like looking at a dirty magazine for me, like, <laughs> from the writing point. Because you know they were giving us all this generic stuff to read in school, and this stuff was like, wow, this guy's out there. This is really kind of cool, right? So yeah, I'd say I'm a Poe guy. Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw this or remember it, but I think twenty, maybe even thirty years ago, there was a an audio recording came out on CD called Closed on the Account of Rabies. And it was a collection of people uh, narrating Poe short stories with sort of a sound bed and effects and things. And Iggy Pop did the Telltale Heart. And to this day, it's one of my favorite audio recordings of any story of any kind. should definitely check it out. Oh, really? Yeah. I am going to check that out. Yeah, that sounds cool. So um, this this has been a great conversation. And I'd love to kind of pull it to a close with a, a, a general question I hope will be fun. And I, I know you don't have a crystal ball, so there's no right or wrong answer. But uh, you came into this industry, you know, you kind of got started, you know, almost 10 years ago now um, from, from when your first book came out. And where do you think this publishing industry is headed? The industry as a whole, you mean? Yeah, it's just trends or, or themes. What do you see happening in the future? Well, I, 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 I'm hopeful that it's going to follow the same kind of trend that the the film indie industry did, where first of all, it was, yeah, you got a couple of cool Quentin Tarantino movies out there and, uh, you know, but then all of a sudden everybody's saying, you know what, we can make movies for a lot less money. And what I, what I really am seeing, and I'm not bashing any writers, but in the film industry, I think the indie guys are producing better films than the big, you know, the giant guys yeah okay we'll get a giant ape movie or something like that or a earthquake or um and i'm i think in this this regard too because i'm with wild blue press and they are they still consider themselves an indie press but they've got a number of new york times best-selling authors on their docket so are they a small press i think what's happening is, is it's loosening up i i also think that uh, i think you're going to see a lot more people come out i mean we've seen the gentleman who wrote The Martian, he broke out. I mean, J.K. Rowling, okay? Look at her. I mean, I know she didn't go indie, but she was a welfare mom. She was, ta- and, and, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I'm right. saying she was a single mom living on that. And 
God love her. Look what she gave us. She gave us Harry Potter and she's an incredible writer. I don't, you know, so uh, I, I just, I see good things. I think the, the the minute we take down those walls of the, of the big publishing companies and we open up more venues, you can have more people creating and hopefully more people will understand that we got a bigger well to go to and, and we got to draw off of that. And hopefully, you know, we're going to see more successes. All right, I'm going to start with Zach. We're going to go from one bald head to another. <laughs> what do you think, MJ? Zach, it was good. He, it was it was a really good interview. I loved uh, uh, I, I loved how excited you got when you guys start talking about music. Yeah, that always uh, you know <laughs> anytime those interviews, especially when like an obscure band comes up, uh, that's always that's always really funny. So, um, but uh, but yeah, it was really good. It's 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 interesting listening to. Uh, you know, hearing him tell some stories about um, about Mindhunter and all that was really interesting. You know, uh, and it's always it's always interesting to hear. You know, I don't write the the serial killer thriller mystery stuff, so the uh, the research aspect of that and stuff was was pretty interesting to hear about. Uh, yeah, that that's one of my favorite books. I, if you, I know you guys have seen the show on on Netflix, but have either of you actually read any of the John Douglas books? I haven't. Yeah, you know, Mindhunter being. I one haven't one. either. No. Yeah, I think he's got two or three of them. Um, but you know, he's he's literally the father of profiling at the FBI. Um, and you know, just hearing, you know, reading some of those stories and you know some of those early interviews that he did, you know, the FBI was basically fighting him on it. They didn't want him to, to go out there and do this. Nobody believed in that. Um, and you know, he sat down with with some of the most notorious people in, in the in the world and and tried to get into their heads. And it, it's fascinating to read because it's all true. Um, so if you plan to write at all in that world, I mean, that, that those are definitely must reads. And um, MJ, he, he you know mentioned something that you know is, is so true. Serial killers is literally the ultimate monster because it is real you know it's, it's the, the only real monster i think that's out there um so yeah definitely check out those those particular books um the he mentioned how creepy michigan is i i totally blame josh mallerman for that <laughs> i'm pretty, pretty sure he's, he's, he's out at three o'clock in the morning doing his whatever he can to make michigan just a little bit more creepy um and MJ had brought up, you know, how he gets up at every day, five o'clock in the morning and, and writes before work. You know, again, we talked about this uh, last week a little bit. You know, the people that actually get it done, they get those books finished. You know, those are the ones that do it. You, you find the time one way or the other. And if, if it means getting up at, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock and writing for a few hours before you get in the car and actually go off to your real job, that's what you got to do. Yeah. And I, and I had said, uh, uh, I've said this before and on other podcasts and stuff, but I, I feel like you know, a lot of times those day jobs and stuff, I mean, they, I, I mean, I, honestly, when I had a day job, I remember there were days that I did more writing than I do now <laughs> because of those constraints, like having those, like you have, that is the time you have to write and, um, and, and you have to get it done. And I feel like sometimes those restraints can be, can be really good as well. So yeah, he got up and gets up and gets it done. So, yeah. And you know, frankly, there, there are day jobs you can get where you can write. I, I have a buddy yeah. who was a security guard for years. You know, he, he was a security guard at a building on the overnight shift, you know? So like he opened that door maybe twice on in, over eight hours and the rest of the time he was pouring over his computer working on books. Um, so there, there's always a way to get it done. Yeah. I mean, that's what, you know, MJ was, uh, you know, he, he was in the military and then, uh, he drove trucks and he and he uh, dictated books while he was driving. Yeah. So like, yeah, you know, I think there's it's a it's another good reminder that there are, there are ways to make things work. You know, no matter what your situation is, that there there are ways if you're committed. Uh, it might it might not be easy and it might take a while, but you can do it. Cool. 
Any other takeaways from the interview with MJ? Nice. All right. Well, uh, yeah, really enjoyed talking to him. A lot of fun and uh, definitely uh, a fan of music, right? Like uh, <laughs> Zach picked up on that right away. I, I tried not to go down that rabbit hole with him. So I keep it. Yeah, you sounded like you wanted right to. Yeah. That was really, that was fun. You're like, oh, yeah. I've heard like All Them Witches, I think was the band he mentioned, yeah, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, and then he brought up the Dead Weather, who's from here in Nashville. Yeah. So that was, yeah. that was funny. So now Zach is pulling us down the rabbit hole, even though I said I wasn't going to go down it. So. Uh, no, we're not going down it. <laughs> All right. Take us out. <laughs> Who's up next? Or what do we got next week, JD? Next week, we've got our Q&A. Excellent. So uh, patrons, make sure you get your questions in. And uh, we'll be answering those on next week's episode. So to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.